Uh, we opened the sermon with prayer. I would also like to pray for uh, our longtime janitor, Dave Westfall. He, this is his last week. He's going to be moving on to, to something else. And uh, I, I, as a congregation, I thought it would be a good idea to pray for him. He would never come in here to stand here while we prayed for him, so we're, we're going to pray from afar. Uh, we prayed one time for his wife, who was having some severe health problems a while back. Uh, so you may remember, but uh, Dave has served our congregation really well. You know, I don't know, do you remember how many years, uh, Ron? Was he the janitor when we came here? But, you know, he is so dependable, and he has always tried to please us and set up the room just as we wanted. And, uh, I mean, I can't ever remember a time when he wasn't here, uh, except from the times that he and his wife traveled down to Florida for the winters. But very dependable, very pleasing, and uh, I just thought it would be a good idea for us to pray for him. So, uh, Lord, as we gather here for the main message now, we know that you're going to inspire that. Uh, we're thinking about our friend here in the community, uh, our uh, janitor, Dave Westfall. Thank you for the gift of having him here. Uh, he has really tried to do his job well, uh, kept the hall clean and set it, set it up just the way we asked him to do it, and uh, never complained. And uh, Lord, uh, we know that he's had some health problems along with his wife. And Lord, he's going to be leaving his employment here. So we just want to pray for you to bless uh, Dave and his wife with good health and uh, provide something else for him. He's looking for a different kind of work and uh, we know you have something in mind, so bless him, Lord. We just pray that you bless him because he has served you, whether he realizes it or, or not, doing his job, he has served the church and he has served you well. So Lord, provide something for him, uh, help him and his wife, uh, do whatever you have in mind for them, Lord. Bless them in their planning and in their future. And uh, we thank you for him, Lord. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. The title of the sermon is, What Are We Called to Do? What Are We Called to Do? Now, for those of you familiar with 1 and 2 Corinthians, and you should be, the church at Corinth was probably Paul's biggest troubled church. They had the most problems, attitude problems, doctrinal problems. It was a very cosmopolitan city, and they just had so many troubles. He, he was, this was the church that Paul talked about when they came together to take the Lord's Supper. Some people were getting drunk on wine. Some people were having feasts and bringing in fine foods for themselves and not sharing it with other members of the congregation and all sorts of crazy problems they were having. And there was division in the church as well. And Paul addressed some of these things and he tried to uh, help these people in Corinth kind of come back to center and to understand who we are in the church and what our real purpose is supposed to be, what God has called us for. And it certainly isn't to have division and to get drunk and to do all these wrong things. Let's pick up the story here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Well, in verse 4, he says, Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says... Well, you know, Paul is the one I follow. I listen to everything he says. I'll follow him. And another says, well, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? 
What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So I'm going to bring out four points here. And this is the first thing that Paul teaches them. What are we called to be? He says, listen, you got all this infighting and all this, like Pastor William said, us versus them within the church. We are all called to be servants, first and foremost. Let's get that straight. Let's come back to basics here. And the same message applies to us here in our congregation. We are called, first and foremost, to be servants. And that's what we are. And this word for servant, doulos, D-U-O-L-O-S, I believe. This is the type of servant that was the lowest servant on the totem pole. In this culture, there were different types of servants. This is the guy who cleaned out the bedpans. That's the lowest of the low. <laughs> you know, if you remember that uh, TV show that was on, my wife enjoyed watching it from England about a century or so ago, the rich people who lived in the... Downton Abbey. She used to watch that all the time because she was fascinated with it. And it showed you behind the scenes the servants and their lives serving these rich people. And there were different levels of, of servants, you know, and the top ones kind of looked down upon the lower ones, the beginners, and they had to work their way up the scale, I guess, or whatever the case may be. When Paul says we are all servants, including Paul and Apollos, some of the leading uh, men in the church, we're all servants, not top-notch servants, lower-class servants, slaves, if you will. That's what we've been called to be. And we've all been called on the same level of service, the lowest level. You know, in Paul's day, when you went to somebody's house, it was this servant who washed your feet when you came in. You know, we used to have a foot washing service in our house, in our church, years and years ago. And it was great. The purpose of it was to humble us. But you know what? When we came into that foot washing service, we made sure our feet were cleaned in advance. <laughs> Before we came to that service, you remember? We'd all make sure we washed our feet because we didn't want to embarrass ourselves. Because somebody was going to wash your feet, you kind of washed them in advance. But back in these days, these people came into the house walking in sandals through dirty, dusty roads. So, I mean, you really had to scrub somebody's feet back in those days as a servant. That's the kind of servant that God has called us to be, the lowest level servant. Don't forget that it was Jesus himself who took on this role. Remember, uh, I'll, I'll just turn quickly over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5, this beautiful passage here where Paul says, Philippians 2, 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Okay? So we've been called to be just what Jesus made himself to be. He put aside all his glory in heaven to come down to become one of us. And by doing that, he made himself a servant 
Remember, he washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. So that's the lesson he's teaching us. We're all equal in church. We're here to be servants. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So let's come back to center, you know, don't have any infighting within the church. Somebody's better than somebody else. No, we're all on the same level. We've all been called to be servants, the lowest level of servants. And that's what we do when we come here. Let me tell you that at this conference, uh, Pastor Jeff Broadnax spoke very highly of our congregation. I want you to know that. And I don't say it in a prideful way, but he visits a lot of churches and he went back to headquarters and raved about the Canfield, Ohio congregation. He came up to me uh, one evening while I was there over the past couple of days and he said, John, I just want to say again, your congregation was super. He said, you know, I came back to headquarters and was just raving about what I saw there, not just the friendliness of the people. That was po super positive. He said the way the, the, the service just flowed, how everybody knew their place, everybody did what they were supposed to do. He said, I came into that room at your service and I saw the food people back there doing their food duty. I saw the setup crew, the sound crew doing their duty. He said, I saw the ushers doing their duty, the audiovisual crew, the music, the praise team. He says, and all you were doing, John, you were just standing up there playing your guitar. And all these people just knew where they needed to be. Nobody was complaining. There was no infighting, no criticism. He said, that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I said, praise God. Praise God. I wanted to tell him, boy, you should have come to one of our kolache bakes. If you wanted to see people work and finding their place and working hard and staying in most cases to the very end of the day, that was something beautiful to see. But this is something beautiful to see. You know what, you may come in here from week to week and think, well, you know, we don't have a big choir here. We don't even own our own building. And this is all we've got. Through God's grace, this congregation right here has been set as, a, as an example to other congregations. From beginning to end, from the first arrival and the hard work of the setup crew and the sound crew to the last dishes cleaned in the kitchen and the last person to serve food, they remarked that this is a beautiful thing. And I want you to know that. And I'm, I'm pleased by hearing that. But you know what? We're all servants here. And that's the key to it. We all come into this building with a serving attitude. We've got jobs to do and we're all important and by our hard work and our service. And you know what? We're not serving one another. We're serving God. Amen. And that's why we come here every week. We've got a job to do. We've got a purpose of being here. And that's what makes our congregation so beautiful to outsiders and beautiful to God. And I thank you and I commend you for that. So we're all servants. Let's read on a little bit further here in 1 Corinthians 3. This is something else he says to these people. In verse, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. Furthermore, he says, For we are God's fellow workers. We're God's 
fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So God has called us not just to be servants, but he's also called us to be co-workers with him. We know that he is performing the greatest work that has ever taken place on the face of the earth, drawing people to salvation through Jesus Christ, people who will live forever with him in his kingdom and in his majesty. We have been called to be co-workers with God and henceforth with each other. We're all on the same team. And imagine, you know, I don't know where your job is. We have people here who work for car dealers. We have people here who work in offices with doctors or whatever the case may be. That's a, a job that's good to have. But in reality, we are all co-workers with God himself. What a, what a privilege that is. And we should give God thanks that we're in it together. We're working with him. I want to turn to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4. He tells us kind of what that means to be a co-worker with God. To be a servant with God. And, you know, it's not all fun and games. There are good times, there are a lot of joys, but there's also difficulties, challenges, and trials that we face as a co-worker with God. Don't forget, when Jesus came down to this earth, working for the Father, if you will, it wasn't all a bed of roses for him, was it? He ended up dying as he served God and, and was a co-worker with the Father. And this is what Paul says, gives us a little insight as to what it means to be a co-worker with God. We're in 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 4. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance. Yeah, it takes endurance to be a co-worker with God. In troubles, hardships, and distresses, yeah, being a member of the church, you still have these things, don't you? In beatings, imprisonments, and riots, that still happens to Christians in some parts of the world today. In hard work, sleepless nights. Now I can tell you, Steve, our praise team leader, uh, got one hour of sleep last night. He worked till three in the morning, got home, Took him time to unwind, of course, and slept about one hour, but he's here today. Sleepless nights. But, you know, there are other sleepless nights, too, where you're up worried about somebody you love who's having troubles, and you can't sleep through the night. In hunger, in purity and understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech, this is all what it means to be a co-worker with God, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. That's a good chapter to read when you're depressed and discouraged. And you know what? Sometimes we get depressed and discouraged being a Christian. 
Maybe things don't go the way we hoped that they would go. Sometimes somebody says something nasty to us. Sometimes we're disappointed because of what happens. And so many times with human nature, we think, well, maybe I should quit. Maybe I should just get out of here. Maybe I should find another church. Maybe, I, you know, we're ready to, to throw in the towel with God. We need to read a chapter like this when it talks about what it means to be a co-worker with God. God says, you know what? It's not always going to go the way you want it to go. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be beatings. There's going to be persecutions. Yeah, and even death. But that's what we've been called to do. That's what Jesus suffered through and endured. And we have to go through some of those same things as well. So Paul says, listen, let's get over all these uh, divisions in the church, all these crazy ideas that you're having. Let's get back to basics. What have we been called to do? We've been called to be servants. We've been called to be co-workers with God. Let's look at point number three. What have we been called to? I'm back here in 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians, this time in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Wow, that sounds mysterious. We have been called by God to be entrusted with the secret things of God. Another translation says, we are managers of God's mysteries. <laughs> wow, I didn't even know we were called to do that. What does that mean? Called to be managers of God's mysteries. Well, the Bible mentions mystery several times. And what it refers to is something that we're really very familiar with. But you know what? It's a mystery to the world. So that's why the Bible calls it a mystery. And to find out exactly what that is, I'll just look real quickly at 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. And it says this. Beyond all question. Here it is. The mystery. The mystery that we've been entrusted with. The mystery that we're managers of. He says, the mystery of godliness is great. And here it is. Here's the mystery, everybody. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Who's that mystery talking about? Thank you. That's the mystery of God. To us, hey, we know that story. We tell that story every year, starting around Advent time. Prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Him being born in a manger in Bethlehem. We read about his whole life story from through his youth to his manhood and, and what he taught and what he did. He healed the sick. He performed miracles. And then he was taken and crucified. We're going through that right now in the, our Bible study of the Gospel of John. He was buried, but then he rose from the dead. And then a short time later, he ascended up to heaven, back to where he came from. That's the mystery that we have been entrusted with. Now, that's not a mystery to us. We understand it pretty clearly now. We have rehearsed it so many times. 
But you know what? To the world, it's a mystery. We have been made managers of that mystery. Managers of God's mystery. It's the full story of Jesus, who he is, what he was before he came to earth, what he was during his time here, and now what he is and where he is afterwards. We've been entrusted with that story. It's the gospel. And we've been entrusted with it to tell it. And every week we talk about it here. We may have a sermon on something else, but we always try to bring the gospel in somehow. And the reason we do that is we never know when a new person's going to come here and sit down for the first time, and maybe they've never heard the story about Jesus before. So we make sure that in every sermon we give, at least at some point, we refer to Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can have eternal life. That's the gospel. We've been given that responsibility, and we need to tell the story. And it's not just me who tells the story. When's the last time you told the story to anybody? When's the last time you shared that mystery with anybody? Well, you know what? You should. It's not just the ministers who have that responsibility. It's all of us. So I assume you all know the story. I assume you could tell me the story. Couldn't you tell somebody else the story at the appropriate time? And God will give you opportunities to tell the story, the mystery. People need to hear the mystery. They need to hear it. I'm reminded of that hymn, you know, one of the old hymns that I really enjoy. And it, it, it makes sense to me and it's important to me because I tell the story quite often. But the old hymn is called, I Love to Tell the Story. And the lyrics go like this, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. And the chorus is, I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Amen. Isn't that a great song? It's all about telling the story. This mystery that you have been entrusted with. And you think, ah, that's no mystery to me. I understand it completely. Good. You tell the story to others. And you know what? It can start out with how God can help you. It can start out with how much God loves you. It can start off with, no, you're not alone in this life. There's a God who loves you, who died for you, who wants you to live with him forever. The second verse, I love to tell the story, more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. I love to tell the story, it did so much for me, and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it, the more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story, for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. 
And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Amen. We've been entrusted with the gospel message. What good is that if we never share it? And you know what? I can't tell you when and where to do it. The Holy Spirit can. When you're talking with somebody and they're sharing their troubles with you and their sense of hopelessness and depression, man, that is the time to share the story. So God help us all to have the courage and to know the time and the place to do that. And if you pray and ask God for opportunities, believe me, he will give them to you. So share the story. We've been entrusted with that mystery. So, so far we've seen. What are we called to be? Well, we're servants first and foremost. Secondly, we're God's co-workers. Thirdly, we're managers of God's mysteries. And fourthly, we're called to be spiritual fathers and mothers. I want to turn back to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. We are called to be spiritual fathers and mothers. Well, to whom? Let's read what it says here. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 and 15. He says, I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 teachers or guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, especially in this day and age, you have access to so much Bible information, so much information about God. We have the internet today, don't we? And you can get on the internet and you can bring up any podcast, any website that you want to. We have television as well. And most of you have either a satellite dish or a cable channel. Cable channels, you know, galore. And I know with us, sometimes Mary and I sit there watching TV and we go through the whole range of Armstrong cable channels and there's nothing to watch. <laughs> I don't want to watch this. You know, forget that. I have no interest in this. And you go through all these cable channels today. There's so many, over a hundred in most cases available to you. Remember when we were young and we had maybe three channels of black and white and you had to get up out of your chair and go over and change the channel if you wanted to do it. You didn't have a remote or you had to twist the antenna to get a channel in. And how times have changed now. You have so much information. And like he says here, you have 10,000 teachers who want to try to teach you something and maybe sell you something while they're at it. But you only have one spiritual teacher. And Paul's saying, you know what? I'm it for you. And you know what? I'm it for you. You can go on TV and come up with any kind of crazy Bible teacher teaching you the most unbiblical things. But I'm the pastor that God has given you. Amen. I think in some cases, when you meet Jesus face to face, he's going to say, why did you believe a lot of that crazy stuff? Didn't I give you a spiritual father? Why didn't you go to him 
to learn. Why did you believe all this stuff that these other people were telling you and trying to sell you something while they were at it? You know, I'm your spiritual father in a sense, just as Paul was the spiritual father for the Corinthians. Amen. You know, I go out of my way to make sure that what I teach you is correct. It's biblical. It's the word of God. And sometimes, you know, you have itching ears and you want to hear other stuff and you want to hear crazy ideas and other things and this and that. Like Paul had to do with the Corinthian church, we have to come back to center. You know, Paul was, you know, said in the scripture, I don't have the exact verse, and he said, what I teach you is Christ and him crucified. That's it. He didn't talk about ancient aliens and he didn't talk about, you know, crazy ideas about prophecy and setting dates and times and places and, and naming people and, and this is where this is all going to fit into Bible prophecy. Paul said, I teach you Christ and him crucified. Amen. So not only am I your spiritual father in a sense, of course God is our heavenly father, but the role of a pastor is to kind of, in a way, be your spiritual father, your spiritual leader. So if you seek information, if you have questions, troubles, please come to your spiritual father, the one God has appointed over you. But it's not just the pastor. You have to fulfill the role of being a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to others. And who, to whom do you fulfill that role? Well, we would think, well, first of all, our mate, maybe, uh, you know, we help one another in this journey uh, toward heaven as members of the church, living out our Christian lives. Sure, we should be there for one another. Certainly your kids, your spiritual father, spiritual mother to your children. I've told you many times from the time our kids were raised, we worked, Mary worked hard and I worked hard too to raise them in the Lord, <laughs> in the church. You know, we do our best in that. But what about to others? You have any relatives you talk to from time to time who may call you for encouragement, call you to help them kind of straighten out their lives as they struggle with all the problems that they have and the disappointments that they have and the worries that they have? To whom do you fulfill the role of a spiritual mother or a spiritual father? You should fulfill that role for people in your lives. Not to do it in a self-righteous way. You know, listen to me, you know, I'm going to tell you how to live and I'm going to tell you all that's wrong in your life. No, as an encourager. And yeah, share the mysteries of God while you're at it. Show the people where our hope comes from. And I found hope, and you can find hope too. There's a future for you. God loves you. He has sent his son to this earth to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. We need to turn and repent, turn to God, and he is there for you. We need to, to, to pour our lives into others. We open up our lives for others, okay? We should all be doing that. Paul did that with Timothy. Remember, Timothy was a young minister, and Paul became his mentor. Not only did he write letters to him, we have two of them, First and Second Timothy, 
but he spent time with him. He shared his life with him. Who are you, who are you pouring your life into today? You know, Jesus poured his life into 12 men, but especially three. He took three of the apostles, and they were closest to him. And he spent a lot of time and effort with them. He went deeper with them. So if you choose to do this, and we pray, God, that you can do it, and that you would do it, and God would provide the opportunity for you, understand in advance it's going to take time on your part. It's going to maybe take money on your part to do this. God has called us to take what we receive from him and pass it along to others. Amen. And don't just think, well, they'll, they'll figure it out somehow. No. He has called you to be a help. He has called you to be a spiritual mother or father. And yeah, we think about our kids all the time. And that's necessary. That's important. But what about others? What about others? And sometimes we, we want to avoid dealing with our kids. We think, man, their lives are so screwed up. I'm just going to pray that they figure it out. Well, chances are they're not going to. And you know what? Sometimes when you seek to maybe become somebody's spiritual mother or father, you may be rejected. Just like Jesus was rejected by so many. So be prepared for it. Don't get depressed yourself or don't get discouraged. Always be there. Always be the voice of reason. Always be the voice of truth. And yeah, sometimes people need to have truth spoken into their lives. Common sense. You know, you see them acting the fool and sometimes in a very tactful, humble way, you have to go up to them and say, you know what? <laughs> You're a grown man now. You need to act like one. You're a grown woman now. You need to act like one. Because they have nobody else speaking that truth to them. But like I said, it has to be done in a humble way, in a Christ-like way. So what have we seen? What have we been called to? What, what do we need to come back to center and focus on in our lives? Well, first of all, you've been called to be a servant. And I must say, for the most part, I think many of you do a good job here. Some of you still need areas in which to serve. Come to me. What do you enjoy doing? Well, we'll have a job for you here in the congregation. We have openings. If you want to start some sort of new ministry, talk to me about it. We're willing to do that. Whatever the case may be, but be a servant. Secondly, we've been called to be co-workers with God. That's what we did during the offering. We chipped in our part for God's work. We're here to support it, just as God supports it on a regular basis. Thirdly, we've been called to be managers of the mysteries of God. It's all about the gospel. Amen. And we're to, to share it. God didn't just give us an understanding of the story of Jesus so that we would know it. What, are we going to hang a degree on the wall or something and pat ourselves on the back? Good job. No, the whole purpose is to now share that, to manage the mysteries of God, the whole story of Jesus from beginning to end. Share it with others because it's only in that that they're going to find hope. And then fourthly, to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. First and foremost to your family, but don't end, don't end there. Reach out. Because there's a lot of people uh, going through this life like ships in a storm without a rudder. They have no direction and no purpose for their lives. 
and you can be a great help to them. Jesus, furthermore, finally, Jesus empowers us to do all this. You're going to think, man, Pastor John, what you're telling me is heavy stuff here. I can see a, maybe a pastor do that, but me, you know, I'm just a regular Christian. Well, don't forget what it says in Philippians 4, verse 13. I won't turn there. Philippians 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So God doesn't give you these instructions and then say, well, go at it. Good luck to you, buddy. No, he is there with us daily to strengthen us to do it. And without his help, we couldn't do it. But he is there to help us. And we have to do it. That's what we've been called to do. And to the extent that we focus on these things as a purpose for our life, we're not going to get swept away with all the stupid stuff. The arguing, the bickering, the I'm better than you, it's us versus them, and all this other stuff that can trouble you in life. So let's come back to center. Let's come back to basics and to understand what we have been called to be. Lord, thank you for the instruction today. And we pray that you provide ways for all of us to serve in these four areas. How can we better be a servant? How can we uh, better be a co-worker? How can we better manage your mysteries that you've entrusted to us? And how can we be a spiritual father or mother to someone? Provide the opportunity for us, Lord, and give us the courage to follow where you lead us. We know that you'll never leave us or forsake us, Lord, and you've called us for greater things than we would even believe. Thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.